Good morning. You may be seated. So good to see you this morning. Bryce has already welcomed you, and I'm thankful for Jonathan for leading us today. Thank you, brother, for those gospel songs that we sung. And if you don't know me, my name is Brad. I had the privilege of being the pastor here at the church, and it's a delight to welcome you and to welcome back all of you who call this your church home. As you know, we've been working through the book of 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to make your way there to 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 2. We believe that a healthy diet of a church works through a Bible expositionally. That means one verse at a time, letting us see what was the author's original intent And what does it mean for our lives right now? And so we're working through this epic letter written by Peter, an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection and a very close friend of his, talking to the churches that have been scattered throughout modern-day Turkey under persecution. And it's going about to be intensified. And it's also written to us as well, God's living word. And where we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, Peter starts out with two words, if you read in the same version that I am, which is the CSB, he says this, dear friends. Dear friends. Usually when I start a letter or an email or I receive a letter or an email that begins with dear friends, it usually means this, something difficult is about to follow. What I'm about to say to you right now may not sit well with you or it means that they're about to ask me for money, right? You've been there before? Dear friends, I'm writing to you today because dot, dot, dot. Peter and those who write and begin with dear friends wants to assure them that the difficulty of what they are about to hear is coming from a place of relationship. It's coming to them at a place of friendship and love. Perhaps another one of your translations, instead of dear friends, it says, beloved. And that is what Peter has been unpacking this whole time, the love that God has for them and the love that Peter has for them. And now he's going to get into the nitty gritty. He's told them already about their identity, that they are God's family, that they have access to God, that they've been set apart and they've been fully loved. And now these next two verses act as the threshold to the rest of the letter as they take us into several different rooms of godly living as exiles. And Peter is going to embark on a very long section of this letter about Submission. Submission. It's not a word that we enjoy or love when we first hear it. But let me tell you this, Park Church, if you are going to experience joy in this life, if you really want to know what it means to live an abundant Christian life, then you will have a handle on what God's word says about submission. I know you just sat down, but let's stand together for the reading of God's word in 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 to 17. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. 
Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The burden of this text and perhaps the text that follow is this. We are called to submission for worship and witness. God desires us to be submissive people as a way to worship him and to be a witness to a world that does not know him. Let me ask you, Christian, do you desire to worship? Amen? Three of you, do you desire to worship? Amen. Christian, do you desire to be a witness in your world that you live in? Amen. Yes. So with those two things combined, if that is your desire, the way to, one of the ways to doing that is through submission. And if, if that is true, there will be certain resolutions, things that you will commit to in your life to make these things of submission as worship and witness a reality. And here's the first one that I want to give to you. Resolution number one, to live in submission to God as worship and witness, I must live with a wartime mindset. I must live with a wartime mindset. Verse 11, Peter says, I urge you as strangers and exiles, not living in your home country, to abstain from civil desires that wage war against your soul. Peter's writing here is very persuasive. It's not an informational letter. He has a desire in mind to change your mind, to get a hold of your thinking. He's urging them to not live like they're at peace, but to live like they are at war. War against your personal autonomy. War against ultimately self is the main goal and what I believe and what I want to do is best. War is interesting, isn't it? Maybe some of you have been in war or have lived through a season of war on your home country. Everyone is prepared in war in a different way than you are in times of peace. Am I right? We approach life very differently. We're always ready, banding together against an enemy. John Piper says this, war sharpens the senses you hear a rustling of the leaves, a cracking of a twig, and you're ready. War keeps you vigilant. Peter is saying here, listen, there are a lot of things going on in this world, and you must live at all times with a war mentality, a mindset that is ready to go to battle at any moment, that is always on guard. And notice what he says, our war is not against people. 
Peter does not say the people that are harassing you, those are the ones that you go to war against. Go to battle with them, take them out, and move back home. No, he says you are to have a wartime mindset against your own sinful desires. Hmm. Those sinful desires that still live within you, that want the things of God and your own way rather than God's way. People who don't know Christ are not the enemy, they are the mission field. We are not to be at war with those who are of a different political persuasion than we are or a different worldview. They are people that we're trying to reach. The war or this wartime mindset is against your own sinful desires that subtly take, subtly take over and make you ineffective for God's use. You see, we will never submit to God or to authorities if we don't have a mindset that I am my own worst enemy. That my desires are actually against me and I must go to battle against them. If you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, anyone seen that movie? It's the true life story of Desmond Doss who was a Medal of Honor winner who was a pacifist and carried no weapon. Let me tell you this, there was only one Desmond Doss, all right? You cannot be a pacifist in the war against your own sinful desires. You must seriously go to battle against the sin that is remaining against you. And how do we battle? We have the sword of the Lord, the word of God. That is both for defense and for offense. And if you're not spending time in the word of God, I think you've forgotten that you're in a war because it's like leaving your weapon at home. We must understand that there are so many things that are warring against us and we must might not be living in a time of peace, but of war, not against the world, but the sin that dwells in us. So I would encourage you, some of you are so dominated by sin right now that you can't even think about anything else. You're living in your sin, just letting them come into the house and do whatever they want and have its way, the enemy. And Peter is saying, I urge you, abstain, go to battle against your own sin and the desires that live inside of you. So number one, we are called to submission as worship and witness. And if that's the case, we must live with a wartime mindset. Verse 12, he goes on to say, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. The second resolution is this, I must live a life of good works before a watching world. I must live a life of good works before a watching world. Wait a minute, Brad. We're not about works. We're only about grace, right? Works do not save. The Bible is very clear. And so we are saying that there is nothing that you can do except trust in Jesus alone for salvation. But what the Bible clearly teaches is if you've come to know Christ through grace, you are not saved by works but for works. In other words, good works should be a result of being saved by grace alone. That's why Ephesians tells us in chapter 2, for you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. 
The follow-up verse is that we've been created in Christ Jesus, his workmanship for good works that he prepared for us to do. So we should be Christians who live in a world that is producing good works that others see and take notice of. I was talking to a guy, we were having lunch, and he was trying to make up his mind about Christ and Christianity, and he said, Brad, I get the grace thing, but I also really like works. And I said, good, so does Jesus. And we, understood, we got to talk about that we're not saved by works, but a result of our salvation will be good works. And the world is watching, he says, so that when they speak evil of you, you live differently in such a way that their accusations seem ridiculous because of the good works that God is producing in your life. Now, I mean, how many of you before Christians have not always lived, before the world have not always lived with good works, have screwed up from time to time? Anybody out there like me? Yeah, you would acknowledge that? Like, yes, Brad, I'm there, but I've messed up so much. Let me tell you this. One of the greatest work that you can show someone when you do that is to own up that you screwed up. To come to the someone who doesn't know Jesus and say, listen, the way that I responded to that situation at work isn't the way that God wanted me to respond. And I'm acknowledging to you that I don't want to respond that way, but there's still this sin that dwells in me that I'm going to battle against. And I want you to know that wasn't in line with my Savior, and I acknowledge that I'm not yet perfect. And I'm committing to living a life of good works. Because of what our Savior said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before others so they may see your what? Good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, Peter did not read that somewhere. Where did Peter get that quote from? He heard Jesus say it on the Sermon of the Mount. And he is saying here, listen, those of you who have got the raw end of the deal right now, that are suffering, that have been dispersed, God wants you to shine his lights, and this is your opportunity not by getting louder and fighting back, but by displaying good works before a watching world. So we are to have a wartime mentality. We are to be people that produce good works in the power of the Spirit. Let's look on together at the rest of this letter as we've looked at the general exhortation or the general encouragement to live this way. Now he's going to get into this crazy topic of submission, of what it looks like to actually have this outflow of your life. Look, at me, look with me in verse 13 of chapter 2. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Resolution three, I must submit to civil or governing authorities because they are from God. I must submit to the governing authorities of the government because they are from God. We are called to submit all to all commands unless they are against what God permits or what God commands. Submission is a sticky word. Let me explain what submission means. Submission is actually a military term. It means to willingly place yourself under the rank of another. 
It doesn't mean that that other is more valuable than you. It doesn't mean that that other is smarter than you or even more knowledgeable than you on a certain topic or has more experience than you do. But because of that person's position and authority that's been given by God, we willingly place ourselves under the rank of that commanding officer who has authority over us. Easy definition, harder to do, isn't it? But let me remind you of what he's calling them to submit to. He first of all says, submit to the emperor. Let me remind you that he's speaking of Nero, the crazy emperor that hated Christians, that burnt down the city of Rome and played his fiddle as he watched it burn. The whole reason they are living in exile is because of him. He was the one that would take Christians, dip them in oil, and burn them alive on sticks as lights to light up his parties at night and for him to ride around his chariot naked laughing while Christians were burned alive. That's the emperor that Peter is talking about. The emperor that Peter would eventually lose his life under being crucified upside down. This is weighty. This is heavy. And Peter doesn't say, rise up, fight back, but see this rather as an opportunity to worship God. As an opportunity to submit to God and to submit to authority because of Christ. He says, submit to governors. Pilate would have been one of those governors, the one that oversaw and gave permission to the crucifixion of Jesus. Pilate was no friend of Christianity or Judaism as he actually went into the temple, history records, and killed Jews while they were worshiping in the temple simply because he could. Felix was one of those that you can read about in the book of Acts, and he was no friend at all towards Christianity. And yet Peter says, do submit to these evil men. And here's why. We do see some purposes of government here in this passage. And God's sovereignty is truly incredible. Because as I was mapping out the book of 1 Peter, I did not intend to have this passage be on the week of midterm elections. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should have, but I didn't. But God saw it fit. And that's what I love about just working through this and how God intertwines his will with our plans. Many are the plans of men, but God directs his steps. So let me just give you a couple of things as you think about this this week. Verse 15 says, for it is God's, or excuse me, uh, go back up to, um, he tells us there in verse 14, or to the governors who are sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. We see in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, that Paul affirms this is God's purpose for government when he says, for it is God's servant for your good. So God gives us government out of his common grace to us to bring order to us. Here's why. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is whose servant? God's servant. An avenger that brings wrath on the one who does what is wrong. I love this quote from Mark Dever, who's a pastor in Washington, D.C. He says this, almost all government is better than no government. As God's given government to us to bring order. 
If you've seen some of those cities, portions of cities that tried to do their own thing, their own way in 2020, they ended up in disaster, didn't they? Everybody had good intentions. When there is no government, anarchy does not work. So God has given us government to bring order in his common grace to us. Now these exiles, they had no say on who they could vote for or who their government was, but not us. We have an opportunity in the world that we live in to be a part of this. So I would encourage you this week to get out and vote. Vote for those who have a kingdom agenda to the best that you can. Those that honor God and have policies that honor him. Because we have an opportunity to exercise our vote in a way that other countries do not. So I would encourage you, as God's common grace to us, get out and vote for the governing officials that are over us. Verse 15, it says this. For it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. How does Peter say you silence people? By doing good. Does he say, no, the way that you silence people is to talk louder? No, he says you silence people by doing good. He doesn't say you silence people by bashing government authorities every chance that you get. No, you silence people by doing good. I saw a sticker the other day in a windshield of someone's car that says, Jesus loves you in one corner and let's go Brandon in the other corner. Those two should not be going together. All right? We don't silence people by bashing authorities. We silence people by doing what is good. Mark Batterson, another pastor in Washington, D.C., says this, Stop complaining about the darkness and light a candle. Be the light that God has called you to be. So when you think about your life, does everyone know on social media, in way they are around you, does everyone know what you are against? But doesn't know what you're for? Let's be a people that doesn't just speak loudly of everything that we are against, but what we are for. Let's pursue good instead of complaining. Let's love each other well. Let's do good in our community so when accusations come against you and come against us at a church for preaching the gospel, they are baseless because our community knows and the people that you live with, your neighbors know that that person is a person that's devoted to good. And that person may never know to know or ever come to Jesus. But don't let him ever be said that person doesn't actually live out what they believe. Let's be a people that are committed to good. As worship, we submit as unto the Lord. As witness, they see our good works and they glorify God. When people see you obeying civil authorities, when you disagree with them, it brings credibility to your faith. Let's look on in verse 17 at the key to this. Without verse 17, you won't be able to do this. This is what it says. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Say fear God. Honor the emperor. 
resolution four is this. I must be in awe of God alone. I'm an excitable person. I get excited really easily. As many of you know that. You can kind of sense that right now. I worked at a country club at the end of college and I picked the range and I drove the cart that drives over the balls and throws them into baskets. You know what I'm talking about? And as I was out there, I would listen to music. Most of it was pirated CDs, so that's what you did at the time, but I've repented of that, all right? <laughs> but I had this see, we didn't understand at that time that it was wrong. To, we did, but we did it anyway. And I was young and I acknowledge it, okay? But I had this giant CD book. You know the one I'm talking about? That you had to carry under your arm or with two hands. It was this massive and it zipped up. You remember that? And it had like four CDs on each thing. And you'd, well, I would take this with me when I would go pick the range. And I had my CD player with my walk, with my headphones. And I had this whole kit that I would carry out there and get inside the cart before I'd start driving around. And I would be out there just singing loudly while I was picking the range. And some of the members were like, you need to stop that. We can hear you while you're singing. It's really distracting. And so I stopped that. But I came in one day and there was a young high school student that was taking my job and getting to pick the range. And he walked over and he had this little thing in his pocket that he just pushed play on and stuck his little white earphones in. And I said, what's that? And he goes, it's an iPod. I said, what does that do? He's like... All that CDs and stuff, you don't need those anymore. It's all right here. And I said, yeah, but it probably skips just as bad as a CD, right? It's like, it's a file. It doesn't skip. <laughs> I was in awe. It, that Christmas, I got an iPod. I took all those CDs, took the illegal music and deleted all that and took all the stuff that I bought <laughs> and put it on that iPod. And it was incredible. I no longer walked out carrying everything. I had this little thing in my pocket that I whipped out and put it in. I could not believe it. There are some things that bring a lot of awe in our lives. But there's only one person that should bring fear. Good godly fear. That produces an awe in your life. And that's God alone. You notice what he says here? Honor everyone. Love the brothers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The only person that should have that place, that elevation in your life, that type of holy reverence is God alone. And if God does not have that place in your life, then you will never be able to honor the other authorities in your life. You won't see it as a way to worship, but this is just an antagonism in my life that I hate. Instead, if God is in his rightful place of fear, the highest place in your life, you'll be able to worship God and witness for God because your life is under the fear of God and all those other things fall into place. Even when the person in office is someone that you like, I think that might even be more of a temptation the guy that you or the woman that you voted for. They won. And God says, remember, who's the one that ultimately put them there? It's me. Honor them, but don't get so excited about it. Don't worship that person. Worship me. Because there is a king who is coming one day. 
and he's going to ride in on a horse. And he's not a Republican or a Democrat or anything in between. He's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of the Lords. And he will rule and reign. Let me tell you, he's got some great policies and he's got character that backs it up. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our ultimate authority. The one that we stand in awe of. Is Christ your awe? Is he the one that you fear and that you love? And everything falls under place under him. Christ, honoring, loving, everything falls under place. Whenever those things get out of order, you're not going to worship. You're not going to be a witness because you think if those things don't get where they need to be, I can't worship God. Well, Jesus Christ is on the throne. And no matter who is in office or who is in charge of you or whatever family you're living in, they've been placed by God and placed by his love and your growth and for your good. So let's be people of good works. Let's do our duty. Let's do what God has called us to do. Let's be the park church that people look at and say, they are a people that loves Jesus and loves making a difference for him in the world. And I don't agree with everything that they say, but those people sure care about me. Let me throw those up here one more time. We're called to submit for worship and witness to live with a wartime mindset. Go to battle against your sin. Don't let sin creep in. You don't drift into godliness. You have to make war into godliness. Live a good life for a world that is watching. Submit to the governing authorities because they are from God. Make a difference, run for office, make legislation, do those things in the midst of that, knowing that we obey and submit to those people that are from God and be ultimately in awe of God. Because as you look and submit to Christ, you look a lot like Christ. As he in the garden said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And that wasn't an easy thing for him to say. It's not what he desired. He said, is there any other way? And he was sweating. His sweat was so thick, it was like drops of blood. And yet he says, not my will, your will. And so here Jesus being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the praise of the Father. He's our king. Let's submit to him first, and everything else will fall into place. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. And this is an opportunity for you to recapture the awe of who God is. It's so easy to lose that in the busyness of everything that's going on. But as we remember together that none of these elements are magical in any way, 
By partaking in these, there's not something magical that turns into the real body and blood of Christ. But they are symbols, as you see behind me, that the bread represents Christ's death on our behalf along with his juice that represents his blood that was shed for us on the cross and the forgiveness of sins. So this is a way to recapture the awe together, to remember what Christ has accomplished for us. Now I want you to know, this is for people who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior. If you've yet to do that, this isn't for you, okay? And we're not going to embarrass you or make you feel uncomfortable or any way. Just don't participate today. Or why don't you place your trust in Christ right now and participate with him. Believe that you are a sinner, that Christ died in your place, and that he rose again. I want to pray in just a moment and have some people come up and we'll hold these for you and you can take one back to your seat. We will uh, just wait there. I would encourage you to uh, think and meditate upon what Christ has done for you. I'll come back up and we'll partake together. All right, let's pray.